in terms of last week, the only thing I'm going to review is that point three there, fishing is a primary priority of following Jesus. Uh, I was talking in a couple Bible studies with individuals today, and I could tell it kind of blew their mind, and they didn't actually want to accept it, actually. But if uh, the truth of the matter is, if you are uh, in a type of Christianity uh, that your expectation is not that your, uh, one of your priorities in, is being trained and equipped to become more effective at fishing for men, that's not just for single ladies, by the way. Uh, those are up there. But uh, it, then uh, you're probably, you're, you're not thinking about your walk with God right. In, in fact, you're maybe following a Jesus of your own imagination because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So as a Christian, I think you should be looking at like uh, things like and before the Lord, kind of praying and making a list, talking to some older Christians about Things like what would help? What would stand between me and being more effective at helping people come to Christ? Uh, in some people's cases, you might need to memorize uh, scriptures, because uh, one of the things that I've I've cherished over the years that has helped me both in evangelism and pastoral care, counseling and discipleship, all the all the different things I do, is knowing a lot of scriptures. Because do you know why? Because when you, you know, when Teresa and I sit down and we talk about whatever subjects we talk about, she doesn't really want my opinion. You know, she wants God's opinion. <laughs> 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 no, amen is right. You know, the truth is, if anyone speaks, the, uh, Peter says, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Like what we when we get together and we're talking about what the Lord we're seeking the Lord about a subject or whatever, even like at a, at a leaders meeting or whatever we're doing, we're trying to find what God's viewpoint is. First Corinthians two sixteen. But we together have the mind of Christ, and the number one way to find out God's will is He's revealed it in in His Word. So uh, one of the things I try to always do. Um, and it just depends on how much of a service it would be to the person. Like sometimes if I'm uh, talking to a young man or woman that uh, this is more common among young men, that's a little bit of a know-it-all but doesn't really know much, uh, I'll quote enough scriptures and, uh, and so forth to, to kind of set the tone that, hey, you don't really know as much as you think you know. And it would be kind of good for you to be more humble about it. So, I mean, the Word of God is living, active, and like a two-edged sword. One of Stephen's favorite verses, he was sword twelve. It, it, you know, it's it's living. The live the Word of God creates things. The Word of God changes people's hearts. It grants people repentance. It convicts people of sin. It draws people to Christ. So that might, like, when you're considering uh, what can I do to become a more effective fisher of men, uh, it might also be uh, overcoming certain sinful things in our life that would help us uh, to be, uh, carry more anointing of the Holy Spirit. It might be using our prayer language or, or uh, worship or worshiping with our household. There, there's, you know, lots of things we could look at that say, like, you know, you kind of need to measure, like, how effective are my evangelistic efforts? How many people 
are serious disciples of Jesus because of what we've, you know, what we've ministered in their life. And every Christian can get to a point where they're part of a team where they play a significant role in that. Some people are not going to be, uh, you know, like bringing eight people along at a time. But, you know, one of, one of my secrets is I, uh, I uh, sometimes unknowingly, someone, some of you would help me, I was ministering to a young lady and she uh, uh, spent a bunch of time telling me how, how much her friendship with Melody Burks had helped her and how much she'd grown in the Lord because of her weekly lunches with Melody Burks. And I'm like, wow. But sometimes I actually ask people like, hey, John Luke, would you befriend this guy? So, you know, not everyone is probably going to be as, as uh, uh, good at, uh, you know, one of the things I often talk to Sam Awante about is, Sam, let's make sure we're inviting this guy when you guys play basketball, even though I don't play regularly anymore. Uh, in fact, I haven't played in a long time. But uh, I decided it was time to retire when Sam Awante beat me in one-on-one. <laughs> I figured it's, it's too late for me. But... Uh, so, so that's the, the first point I want to review from last week. Like, you, you have to, at, part of your Christian life, whether you journal about it, whether you talk to some older Christians about it, part of your Christian life should be uh, asking the Lord, what stands between me and being more helpful and effective in becoming a fisher of men? And what can I do about it? And, you know, not everyone's gift, how they do that, is going to be. You know, I, uh, Sydney is very good at making certain people feel welcome to our church. John Luke's good at that. So, you know, different people have different gifts in that, but, but you have to ask yourself, is that a, something that I'm really a part of? And if you're not, then you really kind of need to think about that because Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And... You know, I've never been into like those television shows where they have fishing contests and stuff. I'm not much of a fisher for fish. Uh, I don't really even like to eat fish. But uh, but I do know enough about it to know that those people are professionals. They they have subscriptions to fishing magazines. They get better fishing equipment. They practice long hours of fishing, and maybe they eat worms. I don't know what they all do, but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, they take it seriously. Um, next thing that I want to review from last week is that it was Christ's last command. Right? So, again, uh, that's just another way to look at it, that Christ prioritizes it. One of the things that we started this church about way back when is I had been in uh, another church that I really liked and was leading an adult singles ministry, and I taught at Sunday school, and I was an advisor to the pastor. We liked the people a lot. and uh, But there was no evangelistic component to the church, and the truth of the matter is uh, they did raise a lot of money for missions elsewhere in the world, but in terms of our own backyard, no one was ever coming to Christ. Uh, I was actually on the committee of people who welcomed that was a church with that altar call format and I was on the committee of uh, people who followed up and there was various big evangelistic outreach events at times 
And I only was able to track one person who came forward to receive Christ who actually went on to become, to stay involved in the church. And, and I wouldn't, there were some big questions as to whether he was really following Christ or not anyway. But in other words, uh, you know, I, I remember they had this big outreach to some local high schools and they came back with this glowing report of about, you know, I can't remember, it was like 48 decisions were made for Christ. 48 people came forward. It was like a little gunslinger kind of twirled his guns around. And, and, and but not, you know, three of those people visited the church one time. None of those people ever came a second time. So in the biblical way of thinking, is that a, is, is 48 decisions really a, something worth, worth being happy about? I, I, I don't think so. So one of the things that this program is all about is, um, is something you should memorize is we need to, we need to work at going from a decision-making model of evangelism to a discipleship-making model of evangelism. So the reason we have concepts like the five first steps of entering Christ's kingdom, uh, the, the idea of the EPDC, that's because like we really need to track, uh, you know, you need to ask yourself, okay, uh, we met Christiana Burks at a certain point in time. Is she a lot further in her walk with God than when we met her? And what all went into that? Right? So that's, that's starting to think more biblically about a discipleship-making model of evangelism and not just a decision-making model of evangelism. Got everyone follow, tracking with me? Okay. All right, so uh, tonight we're going to look uh, at the whole idea of Jesus training of the 12. I don't actually recall if this is true, but I think I got some of this thinking from some other Christian books. One of them might have been Robert Coleman's book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, although I doubt my seven points matches his chapters exactly. Um, it's been a long time since I... But if you don't know who Robert E. Coleman was, I don't know if he's still alive. He was uh, on the board of directors of the Billy Graham Association for years. At one time, he was... Uh, professor at Asbury Seminary, and uh, he was at Wheaton for many years. But uh, there's a little book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, which is, a little, which is a little bit of a study of Jesus' principles in training and equipping the 12 apostles. So I, probably some of these points come from him. So let's turn to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And we might as well go with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And if somebody could read loud enough that it'll get on the speaker here, uh, uh, then go ahead and read it if you're there. Matt, has anyone got Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Or maybe I should read it so it goes on the uh, thing. Uh, so Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've uh, got to get to Matthew first. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I've got to see if I'm skipping anything. Let's see. All right. Jesus came up and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, not some, that I commanded you in low, not high. No, I'm just kidding. I am with you uh, always, even to the end of the age. That's why some Christians don't fly in airplanes, because Jesus only promised to be with us low. No, I'm just kidding. Um, bad jokes. I'm an expert at bad jokes. Uh, so when he says, therefore, go make disciples, where would we, like, how could you go about thinking about what does that mean in a, in a biblical context? What Jesus, what Jesus did. And in fact, probably there's no other place to start, right? Can you think of another place to start? You can, you know, it was a little early for Merriam-Webster's dictionary at the time, but, uh, the truth of the matter is, there, there's those the disciples couldn't interpret that in any other way, except do with other people what I did with you. Right? Now, secondarily, they might have looked at other examples of discipleship from the scriptures, such as Moses with Joshua or Elijah with Elisha. Or, or the sons of the prophets or something like that, right? That might be a second thing they might have been able to think about. Thirdly, they might have considered how discipleship was practiced in other cultures of the ancient world. You know, uh, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, uh, Socrates. Do uh, you know that Socrates, uh, who was actually Socrates, that did not actually write any of his stuff down? Plato wrote, took notes at the academy. It's just like uh, Watchman Nee didn't write any of Watchman Nee's books. When you read a Watchman Nee book, it was actually written by his disciples after he died from their notes from his lectures. Hoping you all of you will do that. <laughs> when I die. Once you keep the outlines, I think we well, <laughs> Keep the outlines in the podcast and you, you should be able to do it. Alright. So... Um, obviously, in Matthew 28, 18-20, what being a disciple, so what, what are some of the things that, what, if you were to say, if someone were to ask you, uh, say, Robbie Johnson, what, is, uh, what were some of Jesus' techniques in discipleship? Any, anybody can, I don't think I'm Robbie, but. He just went up to people as they were along the road or as he was going and just said, hey, follow me. Now, that's probably creepy in this age, but, like, <laughs> but like, he went out to the city where people were, and he interacted with them where they were. He didn't, like, just have them, you know. Yeah. Well, actually, so let's examine that thought. I Actually, the people he re invited to follow him, mm -hmm. there's considerable evidence that, that they all knew him for a while before. Yeah. Like in Luke 5. When, he's, when he comes up to the disciples, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when they're fishing, they even call him master because if you go back and read John 1 and 2, you know they were actually disciples of John the Baptist first. And then when Jesus came to John the Baptist and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, they gradually changed to, G to Jesus. And uh, uh, some of the... Uh, some of the Gospels actually bring out, especially the Gospel of John, remember that they came to John and tried to get him jealous. John the Baptist tried to get him jealous 
that G Jesus and his disciples were making more disciples and baptizing more. And what does John the Baptist say? I, I must decrease and he must increase, Austin Kempton. Uh, right? So that's, uh, you know, like, so the truth is, uh, John, John the Baptist's disciples changed the following Jesus with John the Baptist's blessing. So that's a principle that, the, uh, but Jesus, here's some principles that, that you should note when you're looking at the when you're studying the gospels one is that jesus first discipled by association uh, we're going to get into that tonight i think that's one of the points probably right and um but mark three fourteen, one of my favorite scriptures says that uh jesus prayed all night and then it says he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and then he might send them out to teach. You know what the most important thing in discipleship is? Hanging out. Spending time together. You know, you know, you give any Sunday, uh, like the, this past Sunday, Jeff Burks was still at church two hours after church was over, sitting there talking about the Lord at the table with myself, and I forget who else was with us, you know, two or three other people, but whatever, right? That's hanging out. Just, you know, uh, go fishing and talk about Jesus. <laughs> go hunting and talk about Jesus. Go camping with John Gray and talk about Jesus. Uh, but another principle is that he dealt with things as they came up. And I think you were going for that. The way you were. So, you know, uh, I don't think that discipleship really works just having, like, we're going to get through these 17 outlines. That is how most campus ministries disciple today. And that would be what I call informational discipleship. But what we call informational and formational discipleship, that only happens spending time together. Now, that can, you can spend time together doing Bible studies and, and so forth, uh, but, but you need to spend time together. Uh, so somebody, let's go to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. <clears throat> I think I'm going to change to the ESV to read this. When I, you know, I normally like the uh, New American Standard better. But the ESV gets uh, one word better, in my opinion, on this particular verse. So... Um, it says that he, that's talking about Jesus, because if you look in verse 7, it talks about how uh, grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then there's some parenthetical statements in verse 8, 9, and 10. In verse 11, he picks up where he left off in verse 7. And his gifts are what? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers... Now, we have teachings, and we're not going to go into this, that we've looked at, like, the model of what an apostle is uh, versus what a shepherd is, teacher, and so forth. The reason I like the ESV is most English translations translate poimain as pastor, and pastor etymologically actually comes from shepherd, so it's not a wrong translation. 
It just gets down to that whole idea of the connotative versus denotative meanings of words and the connotative meaning of pastor. Uh, we think of a professional guy whose primary qualifications are that he went to cemetery in the uh, seminary and that uh, and that he you know has a degree but it but it's not really an adequate test of his uh, his fruitfulness his anointing his uh, skills things like that is is seminary necessarily make a person a good pastor so what do you see in the New Testament in terms of how they raised up uh, Episcopos and Presbyteros and, and so forth? How did, did Timothy go to seminary? Yeah, he was a disciple of Paul in, in, to, to the degree that Paul in both his letter of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy calls Timothy my true son in the faith. You know, he's, Paul is saying, I became your dad through the gospel. And uh, when you start making disciples, you actually get into a thing where lots of people sort of become like your son and your daughter in your heart. You end up loving them that much and caring about them that much. And that's actually where the ministry becomes the most effective is when you really, you know, like think of, this is my son, John Luke. I used to, uh, whenever we were walking up and down Darst, I used to always uh, get have some fun with the East Eight people because with Sam Awante because I'd introduce him. Uh, this is my son Sam. <laughs> just, to see, just to see what if I get a get him to raise their eyebrows or anything. But uh, uh, but you know he is he is my son. All right. So uh, so we're not going to go into shepherds, teachers that much, except for a shepherd, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. There's it, a real biblical shepherd, there's got to be relationship there. You know, what, is, what are some of the things, has anyone ever read the, the little book called the, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23? You read that, Jeff? What are some, some points of like, what, is, what does a shepherd do with the sheep? Find some food, because what? Why? Why? Why is that an issue? Because sheep, when they graze, what? Do, what do they do? Yeah, they tend to ruin the pasture to the point where eventually they're grazing just in sort of the mud uh, in their own feces and urine. So the shepherd, you know, in Psalm twenty-three, he leads me. What? To green pasture. See, you know, that's what that means. He leads me away from all the cow pies or the sheep pies and <laughs> in, into a new place that's better to graze. So one of the things the Lord does in your life is he takes, uh, and one, one of the things you should do if you have any leadership in the church is help people, are, are you growing in knowledge? I'm reading a, a book that, by the way, the five copies came today, uh, what, what's the name of the book again? Uh, <laughs> it's in my Kindle. I don't, should I look it up? Attributes of God. Yeah, it's about the attributes of God, but it's... Uh, oh, boy. I'll close out of this and open my Kindle for a second. None greater. None greater. <laughs> and then what's the, uh, what's the subtitle? 
the undomesticated attributes of God. So the thesis of the book is really good. It's basically arguing that what happens in the church today is we kind of present uh, the love of God, the mercy of God, and we have songs about those things. And we're all focused on sort of some of the elementary ideas about who God is, and we never go any further. And so what he's arguing is that you should read serious books about the attributes of God, and he's arguing for a point that we stress at Grace Christian Fellowship, that if we're going to interpret Scripture rightly, that first we need what's called uh, biblical theology, right? But biblical theology needs to be undergirded with historical theology, and historical theology needs to be undergirded with uh, systematic theology. And, the, and hopefully, uh, should I go into why the, all three of those are important? It, it's, it will be here forever. So, historical theology is actually quite important because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And guess what? Jonathan Garrett and Byron Burks are not the first two serious Christians in the history of the church. <laughs> right? And uh, so, like, he goes, this, he especially in this book uh, looks at how Anselm and Augustine looked at God. I should say Augustine and Anselm to get it right historically because Anselm is eight centuries after Augustine. But... Uh, and what he's saying is, is that we, because we only look at like some of the simplest attributes of God, like love, mercy, this kind of thing, what, what happens is uh, we have a kind of a small tamed God in our heart. That's his thesis. And that if we look at uh, the things like immutability, uh, aseity, simplicity, words that... Uh, until I started reading books on the attributes of God, I wouldn't even know what those mean. And probably some of you in this circle don't know what they mean. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't, like, the, if you haven't read at least, uh, say, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer or um, um, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink or some kind of introductory book on the attributes of God, make sure you do. Uh, I got five or six copies that I'm going to be asking different people in our church to read uh, to see if we want to make this book none greater, the, the book of the year next year. But we need a bigger picture of who God is, is, all, is what we're saying. All right, so let's keep going. So what are, what are, what is, uh, so let, I'm going to read uh, what I have on the page, which is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible which I was uh, kind of on a Holman Christian Standard phase a few years ago when I did some of these things. Uh, he personally gave some to be apostles. I know it, the Holman Christian adds personally uh, and it, because they think the Greek warrants it. Some prophets, some evangelists, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry. So today we have a serious problem with what I would call the professional pastor mentality where what we think, you know, I, I, I'm okay with our Sunday meetings being uh, there's, you know, a worship team, there's teachers, uh, lots of people are in the pews worshiping and being taught, but that can't be our whole lifestyle. 
Like, that can't be your major dose of walking with the Lord. You know, uh, think, you know, the reason we have book lists, like the foundational book list and the, the backside of it that says uh, books on other topics, is because Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? So think, let's personalize it. Like, Sam, do you love Jesus? Well, then feed his sheep. Right? And so, uh, sheep, as Jeff pointed out, they'll just keep gra grazing in the same place until they're eating just stubs and, and they're in feces and urine and mud. And it's not very, uh, they, they need someone who says, hey, let's go over to this pasture. Let's, uh, let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little further. Let's uh, take a systematic theology. You know, that's why, you know, there's, oh, 10 or 12 people in our church that in my mind stand out as being guys who study a lot of good biblical books and theology and stuff. Make sure you have friendships with some of those people. And make sure you ask them, you know, there's several in this room, Stephen, Jeff Burks, Daniel Williams, they're like that. Sydney's like that. So make sure you, you, uh, you know, sit around and talk to them about what have you been reading lately? If you want to, if you want to be edified, you could take any of those guys and actually just sit there and go, "What have you been reading lately?" That's all you have to start with. And uh, then every once in a while, you know, just to throw in another question, like, "So that led you to think what?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, just in case they slow down, you know, then they'll unload like all this stuff on you that's really good. So. All right, so I gotta get moving here. I'm still in Ephesians four eleven. Uh, we we gotta get past the concept that the pastors and the professional people and the leadership team does the work of the ministry. Most of the people on, in our leadership in Grace Christian Fellowship were people who just came to the Lord in the last few years and started getting discipled, and they're doing the ministry because they started just doing the ministry. No one appointed them. If anything, somebody recognized them. That's different, right? That's why we always say New Testament leadership is not uh, prescriptive, it's descriptive. You know, Amber helps with a lot of stuff in the ministry. When she first came to Rock Campus Fellowship four or five years ago, how many years? Five years ago. She was not really that equipped for that. Now, she's 10 times better equipped, and she's helping with lots of people. In fact, she's looking for uh, a few people that would want to learn how to do sozos. So see, Amber, if you want to learn how to do the sozo. So, all right, so let's get into these. Uh, when it comes to training the saints, uh, because all of us are supposed to become ministers. All of us are supposed to become fishers of men. Hopefully we've made that point really thoroughly. And hopefully you're taking it seriously enough that you actually spend some time journaling. Don't just ask, like, in, in a lot of people's case, I might be the one who pastors you more, or you spend more time with Anbesh as your pastor. Don't just ask that person. But, you know, maybe Anbesh is the, your primary pastor, but ask Daniel Williams to brainstorm it. 
you know, ask some good brothers that, well, here's what I've been thinking. Here's the brainstorm I did about like how I could become a fisher of men. Uh, let, can you look it over with me and can, can we uh, uh, compare notes? And is there anything I'm missing? Uh, do you, or he, or you know, Daniel, or if you're a lady, Christiana might say, "Well, I think this point in, in particular is really good. You should emphasize point number three on your of your notes or whatever." That really, that's it, does that make sense? That's like if you're going to become a fisher of men, it, you should you should ask yourself, "Am I taking it at least as seriously as you know?" People take hunting or fishing or whatever. Or, you know, their favorite sport or whatever hobby they have. All right. So let's talk about these seven principles. The first one is calling. That might be all the further we get tonight. But uh, there's some important points in calling Jesus. One is theologically you need to understand you didn't choose him. But he chose you. But let's talk about this idea of leaving and cleaving. If you notice, like Luke 5, 1 through 11, I have there. We're not going to turn there, but it's one of the, and it's my favorite account of the calling of the disciples. Now, you should read John 1 and 2, Matthew 1, Mark 1, and shuffle all of them together. You know, you know what I mean? Kind of collate them all together because some bring out points but Luke 5, as a general rule, gives us the most information about the calling of the first four, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then later in Luke 5, we get a close-up of the calling of Levi, who becomes Matthew. So one of the things you, you have to add, you should note, is that it always involves a leaving, and it always involves a cleaving. Is that when Genesis says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, that's not just about marriage. That's a principle that starts with being the bride of Christ. To be the bride of Christ, you know, like I, you know, I'm always joking about this, but I, I doubt if uh, any husband in our church or any fiance would be like, I really love you. And, and if the young lady went back to him and said, yeah, you know, you're starting to be in my top five. You know, <laughs> you know the, the, the guy probably wouldn't like that answer, would he? <laughs> like, you've moved up at least to number seven. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like the, guy, the guy probably wouldn't go, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> right? What's that? <laughs> I've never gotten past number eight, you know. No, uh, most guys would be most guys would be a little concerned about that. So, when you when you read Luke five, please note that in with Peter and Andrew, it, it specifically talks about how they left their business and their boats. Then, when it talks about James and John, it goes even further to say they left their father. There's, I, there's always going to be in walking with the Lord some leaving. It might be leaving your drugs. It might be leaving your bad attitudes about this or that. But there's going to be some leaving. And there's going to be some pressing into things. 
that involve following Christ. You know, there's there's no, um, it's not a coincidence that some people start to do much better in the things of God, say, when they move into a single household. Because sometimes they're getting away from things that, of dysfunction or whatever in their former associations, and maybe they're getting into somewhat of a healthier place to work on stuff, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be, when he calls you, there's going to be a response to the call. You know, I get calls all the time, and I either answer them or I don't, <laughs> right? All right, so then we have Luke 5 there, and it's, look at what, it, in verse 27 and 8, 28, that's about the calling of, uh, of uh, Levi. And again, notice he left everything behind. So real quick, let me just remind us of the five C's of leadership that uh, you should have this concept if you're a member of Grace Christian Fellowship memorized. The first two C's are the caller before the calling. Now this is not just an intellectual concept that's easy to teach. This will be the battle of your whole life. So you're called to do certain things in the Lord. People always go, well, am I called? You know, like I always talk to people who are like, well, what if God calls me to marry someone I don't like? I'm like, I always go like, what are you talking about? You know, like normally what you're called to do, you'll actually, it will involve things that you enjoy and that you have enjoyed for some time, right? And it'll, things that you have talents and gifting for, it, it, normally your calling will make sense. But because God wired you that way, one of the battles that you may deal with, most people do, is the calling starting to become uh, more important than the caller. So it's not just hearing a teaching about that, but the whole Bible, and you know, I don't have to put a bunch of verses on it. There's all kind of like, love, you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your soul and some of your mind and a little bit of strength. Is, is that a good interpretation? Probably not. It'll involve all. So there's lots of ways we could look at, you know, lots of verses we could slap on as proof text, but it's really the direction of all Scripture. Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. You can't let the calling become more important than the caller. And you need, so here's what I do when I, in my life, when things don't measure up to what God's calling, I just tell him, Lord, I'm not where I should be in this. You know, a lot of you know my testimony that when I first came to Christ, uh, my motivation for being zealous with the Lord and, and for evangelism was that I didn't want people to go to hell. And I even knew before I even had read the New Testament a second time that that was going to have to change that my motivation for would be because I love God first. And any other side benefits would, would have to change, right? But I but I had to cry out to God, I can't take myself there, Lord, take me there. The caller before the calling. Secondly, character before charisma. Right? So that's the C's number three and four. 
character has, you know, there's all kind of people, like you see it in sports every day. Uh, there was a guy who was in the news a lot in football this year. Those are, uh, used to be on the Pirates. And Antonio Brown. Brown? Yeah, Antonio Brown. Here was a guy who had great talent and, and terrible character. And his character cost him everything eventually. Happens every day that people's giftedness is too much for their character. And that always leads to a C that I don't want to put in there called crashing. <laughs> if your character is, is, uh, is not sufficient to your to their, your gifting, it will end up being a trap to you. And a lot of you have been there and done that. That leads to a, a getting, you know, the next degree in the school of failure. You know, that takes you from a bachelor's to like a master's or whatever in the school of failure, right? Then finally is chosen. And guess what? Chosen isn't that we call uh, someone, you know, we, you know, Anvesh is now an elder of our church. But chosen is that God starts to put that on you. And your ministry starts to get fruitful. And people like, oh, this guy really helped me grow in the Lord. Or, boy, I've been talking to Morgan and she really helped me get through this from this place in the Lord to this place in the Lord. That's what chosen is, really. It's not so much what people recognize, it's what God puts his anointing and his fruitfulness on. And it's it's not always an exact correlation between what we recognize in the, like these four guys are the coaches of our Grace Christian Fellowship basketball team. But it's not what we recognize necessarily. It's what the Lord actually is doing. Right? So that's uh, calling. We, uh, let's flip over to modeling. I don't know how far. We're, we're probably not going to get through all seven. Remember Jesus said, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Does anyone know the context of where that's at? Who said it? Washing the, when Jesus washes the feet at the beginning of John's version of the Passover supper, uh, he says to them, I gave you an example. And he, what he's saying is I'm giving you a model. I don't think he necessarily meant for us to wash one another's feet. It's a metaphor. It's something that we do every day if, it's, if that's what's in our heart. Because why do, what, why do we need our feet washed? Because they were in the old days and they like had open shoes and they walked in the throat with like dirt and mud. Right. And in those and days, there was open sandals. Uh, some people still have those nowadays. Uh, uh, Sindhu has open sandals. But they had muddy roads, right? Yeah. And so what happens in real life is we all need, the reason we have like worship in the middle of the week and and more than one teaching, and we have like, you know, hopefully in our uh, in our single households, you have worship two or three times a week, or uh, you know, you have this regular discipleship meetings with uh, someone who's older than you in the Lord that you're 
uh, opening up what, what's inside your spirit and your heart, what you're going through and get, getting some help working through, you know, this fear or this root of bitterness or this lust or whatever you're struggling with, right? The reason is because our feet get dirty along the way. You ever experienced where you come back from some like great Christian conference and you're just drunk in the spirit for like three or four days or whatever, and guess what? It it might I now I've had some that were so wonderful that it took three or four weeks to start to fade. But guess what? It always fades. Right? And if like you, you know, that's why there's an old saying, seven days without prayer makes one week. You know. <laughs> that's oh certainly you've heard that one. That's an old one, but the truth of the matter is, don't we all, don't we all kind of say, "Well, I got a big test coming up. I can get away without my uh, spiritual disciplines for a few days or whatever." And all of a sudden, we're kind of dried up. And all of a sudden, temptations we thought were gone are back. And all of a sudden, we become a disciple of Stephen eating French fries around the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you're as thin as Stephen, you can do you can do that. <laughs> but uh, but that wouldn't be a good uh, direction for me. Acts one one talks about all Jesus began to do and teach. Do I have Ezra seven ten there? I should. I guess not. Ezra seven ten set talks about for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord to practice it, or some translations say observe it, but the most say practice it, and to teach his commandments in Israel. So there's a doing before you can teach, right? That's what modeling's about. Peter, uh, someone turn with me to um, Psalm 41.9. Somebody read that to me. Loud, and then someone else go to Second Timothy three ten. And my phone is slow. The second one again. The first one is Psalm forty one nine. I can do that one. You, go ahead, read it, Kyle. Okay. <clears throat> Even my my forty one nine. That's what I have written. Maybe I can't. My Even writing. My close friend in whom I trusted. Who ate my bread lifted has lifted his heel against me. Okay, so that someone that I kind of meant to throw that in with Second Timothy three ten, but I'm going to read it in the ESV. You, however, have followed my teaching, my context, my aim in life. New American Standard translates that phrase as purpose. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution, suffering. So. You know, informational discipleship starts with following someone's teaching. But when you're following conduct, that's what kind of discipleship? Formational. What about you followed my aim in life or my purpose? That's impartational. So Paul is saying, Timothy is his true son. You know me so well that you know what motivates me. Right? And is it one of the 
the most deepest battles that we fight for growing in the Lord, what is 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 that God would get a hold of our motivations, right? Right? If we have the compassion for the loss that God wants us to have, how does that come about? It comes about from God changing our motivations, right? That you you know, when you cry over the lost or whatever, that comes from spending time in your prayer study with the Lord. That didn't come. That doesn't come by uh, watching the cartoons. It doesn't come by playing video games, right? It doesn't come by any any number of other dilly dallying kind of things. It comes by wrestling with God in your studies and God giving you and praying prayers like God help me love what you love, help me hate what you hate. That's my daily prayer. Lord, help me love what you love. Help me hate what you hate. That should be a regular prayer. Lord, that goes along with, Lord, give me a hunger for your word, a thirst for your spirit. Let me desire to be intimate and close to you. Change my motivations. That's a really intense verse if you think about it. Then he goes on, after purposes... Faith, patience, he goes on to talk about persecutions and sufferings. That's why I threw in Psalm 41 there. You know what? That's part of, of growing in the Lord. Persecutions and sufferings, you, you know, like Paul promises later in the same chapter that anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, there used to be a little Christian song that people sang, every promise in the book is mine. Every jot, every tittle, every line. That so the the persecutions are your promise. All right, um, I think I'm gonna maybe get through discipleship by association, which we already touched on. But I want to talk about leading versus pointing in the big what I call the big store principle. Has anybody ever been at Walmart or Meyer or one of these, whatever, the giant hardware stores? Like, I, I, I love this principle. Like, you ask them, well, where's the such and such? And they go, it's back in the house where it's around aisle 27. Every once in a while, you get someone that says, come on, I'll take you there. And they walk you to the place. Which is better? I when when someone uh, I actually take the time whenever someone says I'll take you there to tell them you're going to be a sermon illustration for in my church <laughs> because you were a leader not a pointer right <coughs> so the, the whole modeling thing let's go to Philippians four nine. Paul says, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's change over to the New American Standard. Let's see if it's about the same, I think, in the New American Standard. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Can you, like, you know, like, can, can you imagine if John Luke is uh, hanging out and you guys are having a prayer meeting at the uh, campus ministry house and he says, hey guys, 
The things you've learned and received and heard of me, if you practice these things, you'll know the presence of God. That's what Paul's telling him. That's a pretty amazing claim. You know, every dad should be able to tell their kids that. Every brother should be able to tell their other brothers that. Right? Every sister should be able to tell their other sisters that, right? That's a pretty, that's, Paul is saying, the things that you observe in me, do it how we, I do it, and you'll have the, you'll have anointing. You'll have God's spirit. You'll have a flow of power. You'll have life to give. Wow. Now, who thinks that's a little bit challenging? That, that's kind of challenging, isn't it? Yeah. That's saying like, that's saying a lot when it comes to modeling. So lastly is this whole thing of association, and we'll probably pick it up there next week. Uh, so we might spend two weeks on each of these outlines. Um, because I kind of want to be thorough about them. Like I know I get off the track and chase rabbits, and some people like that, and some people don't like that. You can't please everybody, but... Uh, Frankly, there's, you know, we try to throw in a lot of good information, but uh, that, you know, this kind of stuff, the training of the 12, like the, the five C's of leadership, if you don't have that memorized, you should. And you should always, like, that, that should be like, uh, you know, there's a lot of these kinds of things, the five first steps, uh, the seven uh, institutions of the kingdom of God. Do you know that I use those every day when I'm, counseling people when I'm having Bible studies. I even think uh, in terms of like, which of the seven institutions is important in this situation? So, you know, with the, the, the whole idea of the calling versus the caller versus before the calling, the caller before the calling, that's something that you, you kind of have to think about often. Ask the Lord, where's, where's my love for you? And do I love like my job or, and my ministry and those things more than I love you? You know, the character before the charisma. Is my giftedness going to be undermined? There's so many, you see it in professional music all the time, like great, uh, you know, symphony violinist or whatever. And uh, they, you, you see it in all kind of, all kind of pop culture music and all kind of pop culture sports. P politics, right? Isn't politics like there's a scandal like every week, right? Of somebody who self-destruct, you know, they climbed all the way up to be senator from Iowa or whatever. And, uh, right? And then all of a sudden they fall apart because of all kinds of, uh, you know, sexual or financial or, or, abusive scams or whatever, right? We're living in a time when, do you know what people need? People need to see a community of Christians that really models it. You know, I, I hope a lot of you were there when Eric Meyer uh, visited. And if you remember, he shared that testimony about he was with some single guys that were dealing with a problem in their household. And he couldn't believe how well they dealt with it. Because he was, you know, used to guys that uh, in like the fraternity house or wherever that would just like 
cut each other down and tear each other up and disrespect each other and so forth. And he actually became a Christian because of that. You know, some of you uh, know, you know Jimmy McDermott probably, right? Uh, do you know Jimmy McDermott? It's so, you know, Mike McDermott was a guy that uh, some guys in our fellowship were sharing the gospel with. And he came over to our, our campus ministry house for dinner. And uh, after dinner, we ended up playing this game that uh, we invented actually at that dinner. It sort of just evolved called Funnel Nutball, but, uh, which uh, started with uh, throwing some chapsticks and some nuts into a glass. And it escalated to putting a funnel uh, in the top of the door and using that as the basket. And it was full contact, all out wrestling. Uh, you know, like what, the, the only uh, rules were no biting and no scratching. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but by the end of the night, he actually asked us to pray to receive Christ because he said my one hang-up was I thought Christians were going to be really boring. And uh, he said you guys are a lot of fun. So he, he and he within like probably within less than a year of his becoming a Christian, he was the most anointed worship leader we we had. 